Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thanks for tuning in. On the broadcast today, I will be sharing a conversation with filmmaker Jennifer Batchewal. Jennifer has been working on documentary films for many years and recently created a breathtaking film called Into the Weeds. It looks at the story of Dwayne Lee Johnson, who was a groundskeeper in California who was poisoned by Roundup, which is a chemical compound created by Monsanto. Um, It's a company now bought by Bayer, which is a corporation involved in agriculture and pesticides uh, using chemicals to treat lawns and grounds within urban areas and suburban areas in California. Roundup is still widely used. Uh, There has been huge court battles around the case of Dwayne Lee Johnson, and this film follows his story. It looks at the dangerously close relationship between um, the corporate agricultural um, world uh, and also, of course, pesticide companies and lawmakers in the United States and the perseverance of an individual in struggling to overcome uh, an injustice that deeply affected his life. But of course, his story is part of a larger picture, uh, both about uh, the injustice of corporate power, uh, but also uh, around the power and possibility of social movements to challenge uh, corporate injustice. Uh, So here is a conversation with Jennifer Bachewal, a really amazing filmmaker uh, who went deep into the story Uh, with the beautiful film Into the Weeds. I first came across this work in the context of organizing efforts within the Cinema Politica network, and I'm really happy to share this conversation with Jennifer here today on Free City Radio. Maybe you could briefly introduce yourself. I know that Into the Weeds is not, um, it's it's one of many initiatives and projects that you do, Um, but in talking about this film, I think it's important for people to get a bit of sense of the scope of your work, and then we can go more in depth into the the content of this particular film that's very striking. Okay. Well, I started off in Montreal um, at McGill in philosophy and religious studies, and was about to sort of throw, not throw, I'm not going to say throw away my life, was about to become an academic and then just really felt like I needed to find other mediums to explore these important questions of of the human conditions, of ethics and epistemology and metaphysics, etc. And so I got a Canada Council Explorations Grant to make a film. And of course, I had no idea what I was doing. And it was like the film was my school. I didn't go to school for film. I didn't learn a thing about that. And I learned so much from making that film. And as soon as I started, it was about women and personal identity. And as soon as I started, I felt like I had found my vocation. And I think we're talking about, it must have been 32 or something. And so I kind of never looked back. And I've made 10 feature documentaries. I work with my husband, Nick DePontier. We met working. And so the important thing about that is that we own our own company. Our films are kind of bespoke, one-off, one at a time. 
we're not a big production company. And that is very much by design because we always wanted to be able to be in control of the message and the aesthetic. And when you do bigger projects or multiple projects, that I, that becomes difficult, either because you've got too many voices, you know, too many people in the mix, or because you just have so much going on that you have to make compromises creatively and sometimes ethically. So we, we I've done a variety of films. I would say that most of the work, it's a problem that I can't figure out in some ways. So the, the Paul Bowles film we did, which was our first feature, and uh, it's going to sound like I'm blowing my own horn and I'm not. We won an international Emmy for that film and a and we got distribution, it was like, oh my God, all of a sudden people are answering our phone calls when we're asking for money. And it was, we self-financed it over 10 years and made it very slowly. And um, somehow that paid off in that people took us seriously. And that's how we were able to get money for other projects. So that was the, f- the first feature. The Holier It Gets was a film about taking my father's ashes to India. And that was kind of a you know, an investigation into the problems of confessional work and how, you know, how do you tell a personal story that has meaning for others that isn't just self-indulgent, but at the same time doesn't sell out the the experience. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And then we went on to these sort of photography films. The True Meaning of Pictures was about the problems and the ethics of representation. And then we started to work with Ed Bertinsky, the photographer, Manufactured Landscapes was my film about his photographic essay of the Industrial Revolution in China. And then various other collaborations, often with artists, you know, Paul Auster in Act of God, the writer, Margaret Atwood in Payback. Um, We did two more films with Ed, Watermark and Anthropocene, um, a film about the Tragically Hips last tour because they were friends of ours or Gord. Downey was a good friend of ours and wanted a record of that tour that was emotional and um, really intense, but I'm glad we did it. Uh, And then Into the Weeds is the latest. For everybody listening, I would really encourage them to to visit these other creative works. We won't have time to explore all of them on this uh, program in this conversation, but at least thank you so much for outlining that. Jennifer, it situates the context of Into the Weeds. Now, you mentioned in relation to a lot of your work, there's this tension between an exploration that is deeply personal, but also thinking about the personal within a social context. Into the Weeds tells a story, an individual story, but most definitely looks at how an individual's story is impacted by systems, both in the contemporary context, but also legacies across generations Um, and people will remember the battles against Monsanto uh, and many protests over the years but I had never seen a work that really dove into how a corporation's malpractice affects an individual and you really can't walk away from this film without being affected so maybe just looking at this work can you talk about the story you tell, but also the balance that you strike between a very sharp analysis, but also a story that you can relate to, because that's not simple. You know, you tell this story and you, you address some very, very sharp 
systemic issues at the same time. Thank you for that. And you're right. The the I would say that the the work in in many ways up until now has both gone back and forth between, you know, personal and larger political issues, but more scale and detail in a way that that without detail scale is meaningless. Um, and if you're if you're too much in in the detail and you don't pull away sometimes to understand the big picture, then you're losing um, the context. You're losing the I would say the lessons that can be learned from the 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 details. So when we first met Lee Johnson, who is the protagonist in Into the Weeds, I was I was amazed by uh, his his dignity, his humility, his strength and his courage to go up against a corporation like this. And he says himself, I'm a, I'm a cat from a small town. He's like, I, I've learned to lay low. And that probably has to do with his heritage as well. Like, don't get in trouble. Don't, don't be out there. Um, and, uh, uh, but he, he knew he had to speak out because he knew that he was a kind of, they call it the bellwether trial. It's the first one that determines what might happen later. But it's also he became the the archetype of all of those other people who were injured. And I knew that we wanted to explore all of these different, quite complex themes. Like, first of all, you know, the the limitations of mass torts as a tool for justice. And mass torts are, it, it, they're money damages, right? So, we're, you know, if, if a corporation has a lot of money, even if they have to pay 50, 100, you know, Bayer, Monsanto, now Bayer, has paid, I think, over $16 billion to these lawsuits. But they're still going and they're still making money. So until the heads of these corporations start going to jail, um, I don't think a lot is going to change. So that's one thing. It And yet, the good side of mass torts is that, as the lawyers say, it's the poor person's key to the, to the courthouse. Nobody would ever be able to go up against these massive multinationals without the support of law firms that are willing to gamble and 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 take a chance on a trial like this, and that I think just bringing Lee's case to trial was was about ten million dollars. So that's that's one thing. There's also the question of agency capture and the the idea that these government agencies that are meant to protect us from corporations, transnational corporations, or and actually end up being captured by these corporations, so they it's almost like they're working for them, um, is, is a huge, huge problem, not just in the United States, everywhere. And it's a very difficult thing to address because the, the lobbying that goes on with these corporations to government, they, they talk to them every day, they're constantly like giving and taking. And so when the ordinary citizen comes in, they, they, they just don't get listened to, their voice gets drowned out. So, so that's a huge thing. And then the corporate malfeasance that can occur when you're in the echo chamber of people who think exactly like you do, and you can actually morally justify things like ghostwriting scientific papers, attacking individuals who, journalists and scientists who go against your message. Um, and, and, and literally the, the, the things that came out during discovery in this trial were absolutely shocking. That's what's called the Monsanto papers now. And 
Um, you know, it, it, it's extraordinary that that we allow corporations to do this kind of thing. So those are the big picture um, elements. But then there was the science, because there was no way to understand the power of that trial without understanding the science, the way that those those um, those tests and those studies are set up and how carefully and painstakingly they're done. And the fact that most of these government agencies that regulate rely on industry studies because they can't afford to do them themselves. That in itself is a conflict of interest. So those were those pictures. That, that, those were those things we had to manage. But then there's this incredibly brave story of, of Lee Johnson, the, the suffering he went through, the effect it had on his family, um, his, his battle. You know, when he had to leave his job because he was too sick to work, he lost his health care program. So he didn't even have health care. He couldn't treat himself because he had no money because he lost his job, because he had an accident at work. I mean, it, 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 it's mind-boggling that that is the kind of thing that is business as usual. Um, so there's that. And then there were all these other plaintiffs who also were affected, who were trying to go to trial. And we really wanted those voices to balance out this much more conceptual, um, con you know, conceptual arguments and science and then the last part of that was, what are the systemic effects of pesticide use? Glyphosate is the most widely used pesticide in the world. It's called a herbicide. It's used everywhere. Um, and it's aerial sprayed on forest plantations. It's used in agriculture. People spray it on their lawns, golf courses, parks, children's playgrounds. You name it, it exists, and we all have it in our urine. Like, we're all, we, it's one of those forever things. We have it, and 80% of people have traces of glyphosate in their urine. Um, what does that do to biodiversity? What does that do to natural systems? What does that do to indigenous communities who rely on the land um, as their partner in life? Uh, and so the film was really trying to weave all these things together and it was really hard <laughs> to locate everything you described Dwayne Lee Johnson um who is he just very briefly for people who haven't seen the film Dwayne Lee Johnson was a school groundskeeper from Vallejo California which is the nor northern California and he was the pest manager. So he would have to go in and make sure that there weren't mice running around the, you know, the classrooms. And his job was to spray the fields, the playing fields, the children's playgrounds, everything to get rid of weeds outside. And now that I've seen what that looks like, I can't unsee it. Like whenever you see that kind of brown grass where there's nothing really alive and it's every, everything is is gone on the sides of highways for example or beside railway lines or where there are hydro lines that's because it's been sprayed so that's what he did um, for a living and when he got that job he hadn't had a job for a long time and it was a really good job it had a pension it was well paid it was something that you could say this is a career it had health benefits and then he had an accident and this is something that you know, was marketed 
there are numerous cases of people saying that um, when it was marketed to pest managers, farmers, etc., people would say, "Oh, glyphosate! It's safe enough to drink, right? It, it it has it is it's it's so safe. It has no effect. It doesn't affect people. It doesn't affect pets. Um, it only kills plants." And so there was no there's no specific regulations for using it. It's a little more stringent for people who use it industrially. Like they, they, they say that you should wear gloves. Nobody says to wear a mask. Nobody says to that, you know, you can get, you can breathe it in, etc. And so he was spraying um, a tank, you know, the hose came off the tank. The glyphosate was, you know, a fountain of glyphosate was coming out of the tank. And all he could think about was that he didn't want it to get into the down the drain and get into the water and then go out to the ocean. And if I had been there with him at that moment, I would have said, Lee, you know, it, yes, it's terrible, but the solution to pollution is dilution. And if it goes into the ocean, it's going to be okay. But you getting it all over your body and being soaked to the skin is not good. And that's what happened to him. And then he developed a lesion on his skin and he didn't know what it was. And and then his whole body became covered in... Um, uh, you know, it's 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 a form of 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 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that lives on the skin. It's very rare, and uh, then he started investigating. And in while he was doing this, you know, he did things like change his laundry detergent, wear softer clothes. He thought it was because of that. What it's the soap I'm using in the shower. And he wrote to Monsanto. Um, to say, could this be something that was related to that exposure? And of course, um, he, nobody called him back. Nobody actually called him back to answer that question. Uh, and so he kept using it, even as he was getting sicker and sicker. So that's his story. And he was the first person to go to trial in these glyphosate trials. This It's called multi-district litigation. Um, and they really thought they were going to lose. And when he won, everything changed because it allowed all of these other plaintiffs to come forward and tell their stories and get compensation, number one. Um, you know, it took him ages to actually get the money that he got and it was much reduced, et cetera, et cetera. That's what happens. But it sent a message um, to that company that you can't get away with murder. Throughout this film, Into the Weeds, um, you see a lot of the intersections you're talking about. And Dwayne Lee Johnson's choice to share his story is not simple. You hear from his mom. You hear from his partner. Um, and one thing I really appreciated, especially in the social media age, where often these systemic issues really become filtered through one story is that you really were able, and this is just a, a reflection on the film, able to balance between these really big systemic questions and sharing this one story. Um, so on the big systemic issues, and thank you for so much for sharing a bit about who Dwayne Lee Johnson is as a person um, and encourage everybody to find this film. On the big systemic issues, you're going up, here against major corporations and government agencies that are working in tandem with these with these companies, um, can you talk a bit about 
the importance of collective action to address these issues because you see that also in the film you don't just hear from Dwayne Lee Johnson you see the protests around the world against Monsanto you see the collective work in this lawsuit yeah I mean what 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 ends up happening and as we sort of delved more and more into the Monsanto papers as well we realize it's not just collusion in a way with the EPA um and, and Monsanto, but it's collusion with the government. So the government will, you know, Mexico tried to ban glyphosate and they were heavily pressured by the US government to not do so with all kinds of threats of, you know, removing aid and stuff. The same thing in Colombia. In Colombia, the, the, these drones would spray because they were trying to get rid of the cocoa plants and they would spray entire, like all the agricultural fields of these, you know, um, uh, people, small holder farms, etc., destroying their crops in the name of getting rid of cocoa because they've been mandated by the United States to, you know, eradicate um, uh, cocoa production. And so there's a lot of lobbying going on, you know, um, in, in the, around the world. And if, if you're a country that is um, not as powerful as the United States, you often don't have the choice that you would assume uh, that these countries do. So the 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 effect of collective action is to take governments to the tipping point where they realize they can't ignore it anymore or just um, or, or go about business as usual because they're going to lose votes because they're going to lose support and you have to get it to that point you have to um, get it to the point where you're actually threatening their well-being or their their status quo and the only way of doing that in my opinion is through collective action making a lot of noise the lawsuits themselves do not do it they have to be in conjunction with protest with action with things like the petition that we launched so that it can be presented in the house of parliament so that people can actually hear that there are thousands of canadians who are against this and the fact that you in montreal that there are cities that have banned this pesticide and all pesticides and the the whole place hasn't ground ground to, ground to a halt it, it works you can do it without um deadly pesticides especially for cosmetic use, which is, you know, insane, but then even in agriculture. So it's a combination of the collective action, the pressure, and then the positive, sustainable alternatives that you can offer um, as, as, as another way forward. And I think that it, all of these things come together, awareness raising, action, legal action, um, and sometimes even more than that, and uh, protest. It all, it's all part of the same fight. Last question, more on the artistic side. This film, you see um, very detailed work in terms of the style of shots, uh, a lot of beautiful sections where the soundtrack and the landscape really takes you to a place where you're able to maybe, at least I found as a viewer, you're able to more um, receive the story and, and be with the story because you sort of have very intense moments of the film, but also sort of moments where you see landscapes, uh, you, you sort of take a moment to breathe, you know, at different points, especially when there's a section where you visit 
with First Nations communities, Indigenous communities uh, that are really working to challenge uh, aerial spraying of glyphosate within traditional Indigenous forests. Um, can you talk a bit about the the creative process? Like, and uh, music seemed to play a huge role in the, in the film too. Well, we've always had a big relationship with music because I'm very. I'm very against leading score in in documentary because I feel like it's a bit emotionally manipulative. And I also don't really work very much with um, composition that is like one, you know, people do a whole score for a film and it feels a bit too polished for me. So what we normally do, and this is an interesting thing because in a lot of uh, cases in film, you... You, you finish the film, you lock the picture, you give it to a composer and, and the composer composes to the locked picture, which just feels like a totally one-sided conversation, right? So we've always worked with our partners musically early on. So when we have an assembly, they get an assembly and then they send back some music that we use in that assembly. And I've found that to be the most effective way to work. I mean, this is the first time that we've had two famous Canadian musicians in our film, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, and I'm not even going to tell you how much money we paid for those songs, but it felt like those were appropriate for this moment, um, the moments that they're there uh, were in the beginning and then when we have a kind of protest sequence after we're visiting with Ray Owl and the traditional ecological knowledge elders. But the this is a very dense film compared to some of the films that we've done. And I would say that the films that we did with Ed Bertinsky and even Anthropocene, the last one, is a much more meditative film that is meant to um, sort of shift consciousness experientially by being in places that you are responsible for but would never normally see rather than being told, you know, what to think. This one was necessarily didactic because we had to follow the trial and so those moments of reprieve were even more important to kind of get away be able to think about the complexity of all the things that were being brought up and digest it before going back um, into that context of the courtroom and uh I, I think, I, I hope we, we we nailed it. Like, there's a lot of people who say, wow, this is really different from your other films. And I've, I said, you know what? Form follows content for us. There's no style. Like, to the the style comes from the, the, the necessity of the story to me. So I every, every film is different because every story is different. Thank you, Jennifer, for taking the time to speak today. Thank you so much for having me. That was a conversation with Jennifer Bachiwal, who is a filmmaker based in Toronto. And recently, Jennifer was behind the work Into the Weeds, an incredible documentary that looks at the story of Dwayne Lee Johnson, as we heard about, uh, who takes on Monsanto for the cancer-causing agents in the um, pesticide control product called Roundup. Uh, Monsanto now is owned by Bayer. I'd really encourage people to not only look up the film Into the Weeds, but also look into the activism around challenging the injustice of Monsanto Corporation. Um, Thanks so much to Jennifer for being on the program today and also for your work. Free City Radio is a weekly show and we broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Wednesdays at 11 a.m., 
on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. on CJLO 1690 AM, also in Giagiage, Montreal, on CKUW. That is at uh, 8 a.m. on Tuesdays on 95.9 FM in the Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation in Winnipeg, and on CFRC 101.9 FM on Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m., and finally on CFUV 101.9 FM also, but in Victoria, British Columbia, on uh, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Thank you for listening. You can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just tell a friend. Free City Radio, look us up. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. And uh, we will go to a piece of music um, by Daniel Lenoir, who did some soundtrack work on this film, which we highlighted today, Into the Weeds. I'll talk to you next week, and uh, take care. (laughs) 